0: This morning we want to continue our, our walk through uh, the book of James. And you will notice by the lengthy passage of scripture this morning uh, that we're going to bite off a big chunk. Uh, but I want, to, uh, I want to focus us and make sure that we don't lose our way. And I, I think that it's probably fairly obvious to us that one of James's key thoughts in the entire book is exactly what you see there, walk the talk. Walk the talk. And uh, Leroy, thanks for that personal note this morning. Uh, It's not always easy to be honest. It's not always easy to accept the consequences of doing the right thing. And uh, thanks for for sharing that. James says in chapter 2, verse 17, and and I'm going to jump back and forth uh, because I want to tie it all together to this prevailing thought. He says, faith by itself, all by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He also says in verse 14, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Or in verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Or verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I think he's hammered at home. Uh, we've, we find this thought all the way through uh, that faith, real faith, always demonstrates itself in action. And according to this text, faith by itself, by itself, what he means here, he says it right away, if it is not accompanied by action. Um, that's the same thing. If it's by itself, it's not accompanied by action, then of course he says it's dead. So true faith always produces works. produces something. It produces fruit. Um, what, we, what we do demonstrates what we believe. So, for instance, to pick on Leroy this morning a bit, and he'll talk to me later if this wasn't right, but what he did in owning up to a mistake, even though it cost him, reflected what he believed. He believes that it's important to be honest. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done that. Uh, we're preaching together this morning, Leroy. So, so what you do are kind of is reflected or reflects what you believe. So you can say that I need to be honest, it's good to be honest, but then if you're not honest then, then actually it doesn't work that way, right? So then uh, James also gives us some practical examples and I'm, I'm going to give you some and you can think of others Uh, 1 verse 19, the start of our text this morning, he says, So be, what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So there's some practical advice. There's some practical advice. We are to be quick to listen. He starts off with that. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. I don't know which one of those is more difficult for you. I think they're all a challenge at times. They're all a challenge at times. And, and he gives us the reason, he says, because it doesn't produce God's righteousness. And he's talking about anger in that particular case. Now, right now, everybody wants to be heard. Uh, look at social media. I mean, everybody wants to be heard. And yet, James says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and s- slow to get riled up. There are a lot of people on edge right now. Yep. Uh, There's what we call COVID fatigue. That term wouldn't have made any sense two years ago. Um, WhatsApp wouldn't have made much sense a few years ago either. We've got polarization of opinions. I don't need to explain that to you this morning either. Uh, There's people on one end of the extreme and on the other end of the extreme and everywhere in the middle. And I'm not going to tell you where you need to be on that continuum, but I'm going to tell you this morning that this quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger probably plays into it, no matter where you are. And, and you already know me, and you know that my feeling about evangelism or sharing your faith is that you have to respect the free will that God has given your fellow image bearer. So it's an invitation into a dialogue, not a brow-beating someone to believe what you believe. If that's true, then that holds true also in terms of our political opinions. It holds true on our pandemic opinions. We have to, we should, as believers, respect the other person. And I might just say I respectfully disagree with you, but I need to do that respectfully. Unless you're speaking for God. And on that note, I think we should be slow to assume the mantle of righteous indignation. You know what that is, right? righteous indignation because you might say, well, Jesus got angry, he cleared the temple. Uh, He was God. You see, when you and I assume the mantle of righteous indignation, then we are claiming to speak for God. And I think we want to be awfully careful about doing that too quickly. Human anger, I think, is also sometimes a product of our unwillingness to listen. And that's at odds with God's righteousness. So outbursts of anger do not produce the kind of righteousness that be, the, the kind of righteous behavior that God desires to see in our lives. Well, he goes on in verse 21 to say, "Get rid of." So, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. He goes on. This is this is all practical advice about what faith actually looks like when it's lived out. And he says, "Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent." so turn away from reject avoid so our justification being justified through the blood of Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross also should produce sanctification that's that's that process of becoming more like Christ and as a result of our faith we are in this process of refining of removing dross now, Probably most of you don't work at a refinery, but apparently the process of purifying silver is that you, you keep heating it, and the dross goes to the surface, you ladle it off, and you do it again, and you do it again, until you can see your reflection in the silver It's that pure. And so what I think is that God wants to purify us to the point that the reflection of Christ can be seen in us. His reflection in us, that purification process, and we could go back to a previous Sunday where we talked about trials and the purpose of trials. Sometimes, those are important for that work. Well, then James says in in one verse twenty-one to twenty-seven, he says, "Humbly accept the word, the word planted in you, which can save you." I was thinking about the parable of the sower as I was reading this. That word is planted, but. Jesus knocks on the door, he invites, he never busts the door down. It's always an invitation. What you do with the planted word is kind of what you do with the planted word. You and I have to take that word, we have to take God's word and we need to make it grow, make it bear fruit. And then he has some do's and don'ts. Don't merely listen, don't just listen. because he says if you do only that then you're just deceiving yourself you think that it's helping you to listen and i hope you're not here this morning only to listen See, you shouldn't be here to listen to me you should be here listening or at home and saying holy spirit what do you want to say to me through your word this morning what what do you want to Tell me through your word this morning. Then he says, don't merely listen. Do what it says. Do what it says. Well, James is pretty blunt. Just do it. Do what he says. Uh, we have these two illustrations here as well. The mirror illustration, and he talks about looking at a mirror and forgetting. Forgetting right away. And uh, as opposed to looking intently and not forgetting then he talks about being religious, being religious. Humility is significant not only because the attitude is necessary in order to allow the word to flourish in our hearts and lives, but also because it is essential as an attribute to help us to recognize our dependence on God. So when he says that we are to humbly accept the word, that's important as well. His word in us, is vital, and it has the power to woo us into compliance with God's will, to become more like him. When he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, he is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. After looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, Okay, continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. There it is again. Here's the result. Here's the result of not just hearing, but doing. They will be blessed in what they do. Now, I don't know about you, I like watching football every now and then, and I actually watch CFL as well as the NFL, and I understand that there are moments in a game when you're down and the clock is almost running out when it's time for a Hail Mary. In other words, where you try and throw it all the way down the field because you're desperate and time's running out. But most of the game is not comprised of a bunch of Hail Marys. Most of the game is comprised in gaining a number of yards to get another first down. Ten yards. Um, In your spiritual walk, forget about the Hail Mary for a while. I'm coming back to Leroy. Sorry, Leroy, you opened it. He gained 10 yards in faithfulness by how he responded to that challenge. That's what it's about. Just do it. Just gain those yards in your walk with the Lord. Just do it. Do it. It's not about what you all have up here. It's what translates itself into shoe leather that actually matters. He says, those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, their religion is worthless. And when he says, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. I think his emphasis on orphans and widows, uh, when James is writing in the first century, uh, there is uh, a real challenge with uh, people being very poor, poverty-stricken. Uh, the percentage, I, I don't remember, but I'm thinking over 50% of the Roman Empire was slaves. Uh, there was really no middle class. Uh, the 90% of people lived in abject poverty. So, so what he's saying, in essence, is that we are to love our neighbour so if someone needs help, we're, we're to love them. We're come, come alongside them. And I recognize that, that in the Western world, that context is very different for us. But it doesn't change the fact that I need to love my neighbor. Any religious practice that cannot influence the heart, and therefore actions, is worthless. And James implies here that not only rash speech has the ability to put our faith in question, But a religion that does not reflect in behavior, unable to shape our heart, is also worthless and fruitile. A person whose religion is like this is deceived because it has no power over ethical behavior, as the case of a rash tongue demonstrates. It is a faith that is so useless before God that it can't be considered faith at all. Religion that is worth something involves action that grows from the heart. So, and I think we understand that it's not about being religious. This thing is not a religion, it's a relationship with Jesus. But that relationship with Jesus also works itself out and change behavior as we're being transformed. Well, James goes on in chapter 2, the first 13 verses, and he talks about favoritism. And again, this is the second time he's talked about this, so obviously it was a serious issue back in his day. And what I'm going to say this morning, I don't want to get into this paragraph too much, but I'm going to say that as believers in Jesus, we are to love our neighbours as ourselves. We are to have mercy just as we have been given mercy. It's actually the second commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. Actually, I don't know that you can separate those two. If you're going to do the first one, you're going to do the second one. They belong together. The problem of the sin of favoritism or partiality is what's focused on here. And I think that if we truly understand the beauty of the gospel and the mercy that we've been shown, then we will be able to show mercy to others. And the same thing goes for forgiveness. Do you know that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to me that's worse than what my sin did to Christ? What he had to forgive me for is much more than anything I have to forgive you for. And if that is true, if I actually understand the debt that has been cancelled that I had, then I can forgive any other debt. That's, that's really, I think, the way we have to look at it. If we understand how much we've been forgiven, then we're going to be able to forgive. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's always easy. I recognize that. James goes on to give us more examples, and now he's not giving these kind of examples. Now he's identifying uh, people or groups. He talks about demons, he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Rehab. And, and I, I've identified it as the demons have dead faith. They believe and they shudder. It doesn't change their life. It doesn't change their behavior. They don't rectify. They believe, but their response is shuddering. It's not faithfulness. It's not changing behavior. And Abraham has dynamic faith you remember in Genesis chapter 12 he was called to leave every single thread of hope for survival leave it behind and just trust God I don't know if you've ever gone bungee jumping but that's spiritual bungee jumping that's that's trust and he did it and then God gives him a son and you know the story he asked his son him to sacrifice Isaac which. He was testing his faith, which he didn't have him follow through on. Abraham had dynamic faith, and Hebrews talks about his faith, how he lived it out. He demonstrated what he believed by what he did. And then we have that kind of that amazing, weird story about Rahab. Now, you remember that Rahab was a woman of ill repute in Jericho. And she hid the spies protected their lives, and then let them out so that they could escape. And and if you read the begats in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find that Rahab is in the list, in the genealogy list of Jesus Christ. See, God identifies faith. And there she is. There she is. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So, I think you've heard me say this morning that faith that consists of only mental assent to a doctrinal statement but has no outward expression in life is not the kind of faith that saves. That's not what we're looking for. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a great question. In 2 verse 14, James says, What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Or 2 verse 20, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is dead? Or 2 verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, is a profession worth anything if it is not backed up by works? No. Can authentic faith find expression in a confession of right doctrine only? No. Can authentic faith be expressed merely as a sentiment that never reaches the point of action? No. Is it by necessity a faith that goes beyond these to include practical action? I think so. We're not saved by works. That's not what you're hearing me say this morning. We are not saved by works. You and I cannot buy it. We cannot earn it. We receive this free gift of salvation as a free gift. We receive it without earning it or buying it or doing anything to be worthy of it. None of us can actually be worthy of it. But as we receive it, understanding it, it also impacts our lives, and it produces works of righteousness. It becomes action. So James says that faith without deeds is dead. It fails to accomplish the aim of true faith if it does not have deeds. I think the contrast here is not so much between faith and deeds, although that stands in the background, it's between dead, useless faith and living faith. And according to James, faith alone without works is as dead as a body without breath. Deeds are not something extra to be added to faith. They are a necessary part, an outworking of faith. They're an outcome of faith. Without deeds, faith is not really true faith. It is only a shadow, an impostor of true faith. True faith always changes the heart, resulting in acts of mercy and compassion. You see, faith has a purpose. And that purpose is for the word to grow in us until we reach, reach maturity and completeness, as James said in chapter 1. The point is that faith without works is faith in name only. It cannot be saving faith because it lacks the strength either to attain the proper end of faith, salvation, or the ability to understand that biblical faith is always tied to character and therefore to action. So James holds these two together. The two must mix together for either to be worthwhile and for us to be made complete. So we need to talk less, we need to hear God's Word, and then we need to act on it. Hearing it and not doing it is pointless. It's counterproductive. And I think it actually inoculates us against the true gospel. The longer I hear it and not do it, the more I'm inoculated against actually the true gospel. Blessing comes from acting on God's Word, not just hearing it. I sometimes think that hearing without acting is like eating without exercising. And you're probably going to accuse me of some of that this morning. It produces lethargy, or what we could call spiritual obesity. That's the nice thing about discipleship. Discipleship happens in the trenches. As we live out our faith and we're actively involved. Galatians 5, verse 22 and we'll get the praise band to come up as I read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I hope you've been encouraged. I'm not here to browbeat you this morning. But I'm, I, I'm hoping that you're encouraged to do that bit of that litmus test, that introspection, and say, how am I doing? Uh, am I Am I actually living out what I know. Uh, am, I, am I putting it into practice? How am I doing that? And, and then gain a yard and gain another yard and, and get that first down and, and, and keep going. And, and yes, your quarterback, your quarterback might get sacked and now you now you're 3-17. You know, and 17. Sorry for those of you that don't understand football but pick yourself up and keep going. You see, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says it's the same power that was working in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So, so, we are frail human vessels, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And your challenges might be different than mine this week. But nonetheless, the same Spirit walks with us. So, so, let's, let's just, let's work it out in shoe leather. Let's practice it. Let's practice it. Let's pray and then, unless you want to have a conversation, Mo. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pressure. <laughs> I, I was really, um, I was really caught by your statement there about... Um, being really careful when we have righteous indignation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started clapping in the back. Um, that one really caught my, my mm-hmm. attention, especially mm-hmm. in our current situations, the things that are happening. It's really easy to be really dogmatic about everything that we believe mm-hmm. in our own sort of ideas. And, um, and I think it's also important to uh, uh, us showing Compassion to other people and their opinions is also something that's really important. Um, I so think of I think of the retail people, right, who yep. have to deal with those of us who come in and are have righteous indignation towards their their mm-hmm. uh, cleaning protocols, um, and uh, um, and just knowing knowing some of those things, like it's it's really easy for us to quote scripture as to why we shouldn't wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, sometimes we need to actually be generous with, with other people in the way that we do things.
0: So. so humility yeah. and listening and compassion.
1: Well, and thanks for introducing humility. Yeah. In two weeks, I think I get to speak about uh, humility with, uh, from James chapter 4. And so uh, Perfect. Thanks, thanks for introducing that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know it all bleeds across. Uh, James will talk later about the tongue. It all kind of bleeds across and and I'm so thankful that he's so practical. Um, So we've got work to do and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring James as he uh, shares with us uh, some really practical ideas about how to put our faith into action. And I know that the devil is prowling around trying to bring us down. And he will do that this week. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And so we want to move forward in faith, in hope, in peace, and also with the joy that you give us. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.